0: You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. You know, that, that was pretty good. Um, better than the first time last year. Um, let's, let's try something different. Let's pretend we're Pentecostal this morning. Let's, let's, let's stand up. I know that was a long passage, so it's nice to stand up anyways. Let's stand up if, if you can or if you want. I'm not forcing you to. Let's, let's put our hands up, you know, because Christ has risen, right? And let's try this again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. That's, you can sit down. That, <laughs> that's why we're here this morning, right? Because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ lives. That's something to be excited about, right? Because though he died on the cross and was buried in the grave on the third day, the spirit of God raised him up. The stone was rolled away. Death was defeated. Sin was defeated. Evil was defeated and light has risen in the darkness. First Peter one, three to five says this blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. of the resurrection, is our hope in life and in death, our living hope. In fact, everything we are, right, our our identity, our faith as Christians, everything we do and believe in God's name, everything we have to look forward to, hangs on this hope. Timothy Keller writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then... Why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So everything Jesus said and did rises and falls on whether he walked out of that grave. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes that if Jesus is still dead, like if there was no resurrection, he writes of all Christians, himself included, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because if 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 it didn't happen, if Jesus' bones are still lying in some tomb, then this is all for nothing, right? A sham. As it basically says throughout 1 Corinthians 15, you know, without the resurrection, we'd have no assurance of hope in eternal life. We'd still be dead in our sins. Our faith and our preaching would be futile. Not only that, but we'd definitely lose in the end because God wouldn't be very happy about us misrepresenting him. So, yeah, in that context... If Jesus is still dead, the cross is meaningless, and we're, we're definitely to be pitied. We probably have more hope in an Easter bunny turning up, right, than being forgiven or getting to heaven. But yet, we celebrate Easter. We are here today because the cross didn't defeat him. He rose from the grave. What everyone, including the disciples, saw as defeat, God designed to be our victory. Craig D. lowndes writes, Easter is a time when God turned the inevitability of death into the invincibility of life. I love that quote. And again, aren't we, after all, you know, evidence of this reality, this truth? That the fact that we're gathered here this morning means that we're, we're part of this miraculous story part of the testimony among millions and millions of other believers today that the, of the glorious truth that Jesus is alive, that his death on the cross did truly accomplish what God had purposed, that it changed everything. Because if Jesus, you know, if he had, again, if he hadn't risen from the grave, if, if he hadn't revealed himself to the women, then to the disciples, then to, to hundreds more, then to the Apostle Paul. The truth is we, we wouldn't be here. Christianity wouldn't exist. The New Testament wouldn't even exist. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 is, is such a significant testimony, among many others in the New Testament, when it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And and why is he so confident about this? This is why. Because he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as the one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared also to me. So when when Jesus and when Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he rose from the dead, you know, seeing him alive and and in the flesh, as, as Blair just read, that's the moment that their eyes were were miraculously opened, and and they realized he must truly be the victorious King of Kings, that that everything he said was true, and therefore he was worth living for and even dying for. 1 Corinthians 15:57 to 58 This is the response to the resurrection right but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain So once they saw the Lord they believed And they knew without a doubt that following him, living for him, and making disciples was worth it no matter what they faced. They knew that their labor would not be in vain. Paul David Tripp writes it like this. The resurrection tells you that God will win. His truth will reign. His plan will be accomplished. Sin will be defeated. Righteousness will overcome evil. This means that everything you do in God's name is worth it, no matter what the cost. So again, the resurrected Christ is our hope. And that hope changes everything. And it changed everything for the disciples. Their their worldview changed. Their their identity changed. Their purpose changed. The way they read and understand the scriptures changed. Their hope for the future changed. The way they approached God changed. Paul was changed from a, a persecutor of Christians into a passionate apostle and martyr for Jesus. Peter was was changed from an ashamed denier of Jesus to a shepherd of his sheep, a pillar of the church of Christ. Thomas was changed from a doubter to a man of faith. Mary Magdalene's weeping and sorrow changed to joy and hope as she proclaimed, I've seen the Lord. All because Jesus Christ, by the will of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, conquered the grave and walked out of that tomb. No longer as a a meek and, and suffering servant that died on the cross, but victoriously, full of glory, with all authority in heaven on earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And from that point on, the disciples looked at the cross, not as their defeat, but as the power of God for their salvation. That's why Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He says the saying is trustworthy, that we can be confident in the grace and salvation that Jesus won for us at the cross. Why? Because... Jesus lives, because they witnessed this truth. They can say that with confidence. So for them, how could anything be more important or worth living for and even dying for? For them, they knew Jesus is life. And though we today don't get to encounter Jesus physically like they did, it doesn't change the fact that as we encounter Christ through faith, And subsequently, through his word and and through the spirit, we're also transformed and called into a glorious and purposeful life as well. Kind of to interject from that point for a moment, One, one of the greatest aspects about the resurrection, which we often talk about, is the fact that it gives us hope in eternal life. Right, so that we, we can go to heaven when we die, so we can proclaim in triumph, Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? And Romans 6.5 confirms this idea for us when it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And as Jesus says himself in, in John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So this is a a glorious hope and and a a comforting truth for our own future. But, you know, also as we think about our loved ones who've passed away and and even this morning with those church bombings, you know, we can have confidence in in eternal life in that hope, right? Right. To know that, that Jesus it invites us into eternal life with God, that death is not the end, is, is amazing. That's, that's amazing. In fact, the disciples constantly had this future hope in view as well. And so should we. So there's, there's nothing wrong with it. We should constantly have that, that hope in view, that future hope in view. But with that being said, we have to remember that it was this future hope which also helped spur them on to live sold out and purposeful lives for Jesus until that day. Yet, unlike them, in a lot of ways, it seems it seems like so many of us Christians just seem to be biding our time and just waiting for that day when Jesus comes again or, or waiting till we got, die and go to heaven to experience this eternal life. Which, which is why I want to emphasize this morning that, that the hope and power we've been given to the resurrection isn't something we only obtain when we physically die, but it's something we get to and are called to experience in part and live out even now. N.T. Wright wrote it like this. Resurrection is thus not merely about a glorious future. It is about a meaningful present. Resurrection life isn't just for later. It's not just our hope and death. It is our hope and death, but it's not just our hope and death. But it's also for our life right now. Romans 6, 8 to 11. I don't have a lot of scriptures today, but this is... Easter Sunday, we need to have a lot of scriptures, right? Romans 6, 8 to 11 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And we rejoice in that. Jesus reigns. He cannot die. He he lives forever. And it says in verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. That's accomplished. Sin has been defeated. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So like Jesus, saying we must also count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. If we've died with Christ, we'll live with him. This is why Jesus calls us to lay down our lives and pick up our cross. Right? He calls us to lay down our lives so that we can be raised up with him and by him. This is this is the process, of course, that we demonstrate through baptism. Right? We're we're dunked under the water to symbolize our old sinful nature as, as dying with Christ on the cross, right? Our past and future sins, our guilt, our our shame, our fear, our condemnation, all of it. Dead, washed away. And then we're brought out of the water, right? And then, which signifies us being raised up with Christ, made new through the power of his resurrection life. So so just as, as the cross came before resurrection, our death to self leads to new life. And speaking of which, if you haven't been baptized, if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized and would like to, please let myself know or Pastor Blair or Pastor Brad and we'll make it happen. Such a significant step in our faith and walk with Jesus. And on that same note, if you haven't met Jesus yet, if you don't know Jesus and want to experience this saving grace, this this forgiveness, this eternal hope, I have good news for you, it's free. Jesus died and rose for you. He already paid the price for your sin. wants to unburden you of it and set you free from it. And it's yours. As it says in John 20, Verse 31, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is all you have to do. Repent, which means turn to Jesus and believe in his name. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. And I would invite you to do that today if you've never done that. And if you need to talk to someone about this, there'll be a prayer team at the back window that would love to talk to you after my message. You can catch up with me or you can fill out a common card if you, if, if you want me to contact you this week or you can talk to Pastor Blur or Pastor Brad or any, and anyone here can point you in the right direction when it comes to knowing Jesus. Because knowing Jesus, again, is true life. It's abundant life. In fact, before Jesus died on the cross, he prayed like this. John 17:3. He says, "And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." See, eternal life's not just sitting in heaven. What's eternal life? that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And the cross and the empty tomb, of course, accomplish this prayer. Through the cross, our sins have been removed. Through the power of the resurrection, we've been justified before God and covered in the righteousness of Christ so that we can know God and know Jesus so that we can have eternal life. So again, that life doesn't wait for heaven. Eternity includes now. From the moment we experience and receive his saving grace, we're adopted into a unified relationship with him. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life we live is no longer our own we live for Christ. This, this new life of faith is meant to be lived out in the flesh, which means in the present, in the now. And, and it's true. It's true. We won't be able to grasp the fullness of what Jesus has done for us until we meet him face to face. Colossians 3 three to 4 says, For you have died, your old nature, your sinful self has died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So while we won't see the fullness of what of what Jesus has given us and won for us until eternity, yet we still get to experience it in part even today. That's why it says in Second Peter one, verse three, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things Pertaining to life and godliness. All things, so that we can live a purposeful life, an abundant life, a holy life. How many of us are truly experiencing this life? How many of us are actually taking hold of what Jesus has made available to us through his resurrection? Think of it like this. How many of us, when we do die and and meet Jesus face to face, will be able to look back on our lives and say to him with confidence, yes, I lived well, Lord. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I've lived sold out for you, Jesus. I walked in victory and boldness. I used every opportunity to proclaim the gospel and every gift that you gave me to serve and love others. How many of us can say that? I'm asking myself as well. How many of us can say that? And why not, though? Why not, though? Because there's no excuse, really, right? Through his death and resurrection, he's given us all we need to live victoriously and purposefully and holy. Through his sacrifice of grace, we've been forgiven and and freed from our slavery to sin. We don't have to walk in the darkness anymore. We've been given an eternal inheritance as sons and daughters of God. We've been given supernatural freedom and covered in his righteousness so that we can live the way we were created in relationship with God the Father. He's given us his his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the grave to empower us to love God and others. He's given us spiritual gifts and and callings so that we can live in godliness and serve one another. He's given us his word so that we can grow in the knowledge of who he is. He's given us lives of, of purpose. He's given us his joy as our strength so we can persevere even in the midst of suffering and tragedy. He's given us unity in the church to encourage us and and build us up in his likeness. And ultimately, we've been born again to a living hope, that hope of eternal life. Assurance that he's won the victory, which means we don't need to fear, which means we can't lose. We live in victory. So when we think of all this that we've been given and more, How many of our lives reflect this? Look, I'm half Dutch and half Scottish by blood. That's my ancestry, which means I'm super cheap, okay? I I don't like to waste what I've paid for. For example, if I buy a plate of spaghetti or something for $16 at Boston Pizza... And halfway through eating it, I become full, which usually happens with a big plate of spaghetti at Boston Pizza. That's not going to stop me, okay? Because I paid for it. Thus, and I need to use the word thus because this is, you know, this is important. Thus, I'm going to finish the whole plate. And, and if I can't finish it in that moment, at least I'm going to take it home and continue to work on it throughout that evening or the next day, or, or, or I'll share it with others. You know, if someone else didn't eat enough, I'll say, anyone want some of my spaghetti, right? I'm going to make sure that, that it gets eaten no matter what. I'm not going to let it go to waste because that's like throwing $8 in the garbage, I would shed a tear. I'm, I'm going to get my money's worth. And in the same way, you know, since Jesus paid the price for our sins as a perfect sacrifice, a price we couldn't afford or deserve, but yet by his blood, by his death, he purchased everything we need and he gives it to us for free and he and He hands it over to us and he's, and he's saying, here, take all of this. But if we don't actually take a hold of it, or we just pick a little bit off, are we not letting his sacrifice go to waste? It's like a, a refugee moving to Canada and still living, you know, on a tent like a refugee. Not taking advantage of all the services and healthcare and support and freedom that we have here. In the same way we're citizens of the kingdom, of god we serve and live for the living god yet too often we're not living like it of course i'm not saying we have to be perfect we are not perfect that's not the point point. and i'm not saying that we have to earn it jesus earned it for us he gives it to us freely but shouldn't we run the race so that we might obtain the outcome of our faith Shouldn't we wake up and take a hold of the grace, power, and, and authority, and purpose we've already received? Philippians three twelve to 14 says, says like this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verses 15 to 16, which we often forget to read with this part. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So He's saying here, mature Christians, press on for and hold true to the resurrection life that Jesus has given them. Yet for many of us, again, it seems like most of what Jesus offers is you know, just sitting in a, in a box stored away in our dusty attics. It, has, it hasn't been touched or opened in a long time. We call it being spiritually dry. We think you know, we run around complaining to each other, "Oh, I'm spiritually dry." Why? Why? Maybe maybe because we, we doubt it, or maybe it's apathy. For a lot of people in Lethbridge, it's apathy. Or maybe it's fear of man. Maybe our life's so full of drama, we can't focus. or maybe we think that there's so much else to live for instead. There's so much else in the world that we think is worth our time and and effort and and money and our priorities. But again, in in the end, when we meet Jesus face to face in light of the resurrection, in light of eternity, will those things even matter? John Piper writes If you are a Christian, God created a union between you and Christ, as Romans 6 5, which we read earlier, says. Because of this union, You died with Christ when he died. Because you died, you are now free from the guilt and power of sin in your fullest and truest identity. That is, in your union with Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. And because of this unshakable position and identity, you are already justified. We're already righteous before God, right? And you are most certainly being sanctified, which means being perfected. But you are not yet perfected. Therefore, Confirm this great transaction by reckoning yourself to be what you really are in Christ. You see, the resurrection gives us the freedom and power to become what we really are in Christ. The resurrection gives us the freedom and power to become what we really are in Christ. So, are, are we actually content in, in, in what little that we've, we've grasped onto? And what little we've picked off of what Jesus has accomplished for us? Are we really content in that? How how could anything be more important or amazing than taking hold of this eternal life and living it out like the apostles did? And again, we have nothing to fear in doing it. We know Jesus has won, which means we can live for him in confidence, knowing that it's not pointless and that, that, that he won't let us down but that it's a life worth living, a life worth sacrificing for, a life of purpose, of hope, of, and of truth, because we know that it's a life that ends in victory. I'll use my, myself as an example, because this is why I'm up here this morning. If you know me well, you know I'm not the type of guy that likes attention. And I've talked about this before, you know, I I I don't I don't talk a lot outside. For, you know, I preach long sermons, so you may be like, what? That doesn't make sense. But I, I don't actually talk a lot. I'm an introvert. I like being by myself. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I'm not doing this for me. I don't know if any of you have tried public speaking before. It's not easy, especially for an introvert. I'm not up here for me. I'm up here because Jesus is alive. I'm up here because I believe it matters, because I'm compelled by his truth to proclaim him, because I believe that living for Christ and proclaiming his name is eternally significant, and that by his grace, it won't fall void or on deaf ears. I believe that everything we do in God's name, no matter how uncomfortable or how much it costs, is worth it. Because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is alive. And on that note, it's only by his grace and strength that I or any of us are even able to live this life. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said this to his disciples, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then it comes with the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end. Of the age. So, this, this charge to advance the kingdom would, would give the, the disciples eternally significant purpose and also compel them to live and speak with a boldness in Jesus' name that can only come from the living God. Assured with the promise that Jesus would always be with them. Not only the promise, but the reality. And that purpose and confidence and authority is for us too. We can have that same boldness, that same passion to live our lives for God because we're not alone or on our own in doing it. Jesus is alive. He reigns. Which means he's with us and working in us. He's interceding for us and he's gone before us to prepare the way. As he said to his disciples, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans. And this is completely unlike anything or anyone else that we might try to put our faith or our purpose in. He's the only one that can say he won't fail us or abandon us or ignore us in life or death. He's proved that to us through his death and resurrection. Living our life for him, abounding in good work for him, will never fall void. And as as an even greater assurance of this, and as Jesus promised, he's poured out his spirit on all those who believe, so that he's not only with us, so that he can dwell within each of us and empower us to go forth in his name with, with, with authority and faith. And it's in light of this truth that the Apostle Peter declared in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. When he sums all of this up and he says, This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for you. This promise is for you. A promise which declares that that our hope in Christ is not in vain. Our forgiveness of sins is not in vain. Our calling in Christ is not in vain. Our suffering for Christ is not in vain. Our proclamation of Christ is not in vain. Building this church is not in vain. Our our worship and prayers are not in vain. Our sacrificial love and encouragement to one another and serving the poor and the widows and everything we're called to do as Christians is not in vain. Laying down our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ is not in vain. It's Everything, its true life, its abundant life, its spirit filled life, its resurrection life. We live because He lives. So as we as we turn our hearts to Jesus, our risen Lord, this morning, let's let's give thanks and rejoice by taking hold of the life that He's given us. And in the same way, as we we look to our future hope of Jesus' victorious return and eternal life in the kingdom of God, let that hope affect our kingdom work in the present. As Paul writes in Philippians 3, 10-12, as I close, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. See, He's not saying, I just want to know about him. That's part of it, but not not all of it. He He doesn't want to be an acquaintance with Christ. He doesn't want to know a little bit of Christ. He wants to know Christ. And he continues, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Let's pray. Lord, as we we celebrate this morning, as we remember what took place on the third day, when that stone was rolled away, when your spirit lifted Jesus from the grave and he walked out. It confirmed that all he did, all he said, all he accomplished was true. That he is the resurrection and the life. And Lord, I thank you that all who believe in him will not die but live. And those who live for him will never die. I, I pray that you, you would wash us in that truth. That it would sink deep into our souls. That it would not only be our, our, our future hope but our hope in the present. That you would teach us what it means and, and how much you've given so that we can live a, an abundant life, a godly life, a holy life, a powerful life for you. Jesus, we, we lift you up. You are, you are worthy of all praise and glory. You are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we humbly come before you with with thankfulness, with repentance, with joy, and with wonder at what you've accomplished, Lord. We give you all the glory. Amen.